Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap's special series on America's business comeback. Today's Saturday, May 29th. Memorial Day gas prices are up to a seven-year high. We're down to our last episode of this special series and focused on what comes next for small businesses. America's small business community is recovering from the pandemic, but it hasn't yet recovered. That was the message yesterday from U.S. Small Business Administrator Isabel Guzman, testifying in front of a House Financial Services subcommittee. She talked about why her agency is asking for around a 9.5% budget increase, and then also said this. We successfully launched $28.6 billion restaurant revitalization fund. As of Monday, when the application portal closed, we'd received more than 372,000 applications, representing over $76 billion in requested funds. In other words, that restaurant program is basically out of money just weeks after launching, which reflects how many small businesses continue to need or at least want help, despite many of these positive recovery stories we've heard during this week's special series. For Guzman, this is a very different SBA from the one she was last in during the Obama administration before leaving to work on small business issues in California. Its footprint is a lot larger, particularly from having overseen the PPP. It's also under greater scrutiny and needs to navigate a steeper path forward than did the SBA coming out of the 2008 financial crisis. The real question and challenge now is how Guzman transitions the agency from crisis footing to growth. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with her to better understand SBA's plans and what sorts of small businesses still need assistance. We're joined now by Isabella Casillas Guzman, administrator of the U.S. Small Business Administration. What was your most immediate challenge when you took over back in March? Well, the SBA has scaled dramatically from a $40 billion portfolio to over a trillion. And so just making sure that we had the resources and the technology in place to be able to meet that scale, meet that demand, while also trying to maintain uh, you know, customer-first experience and ensure that there are controls in place. I think that implementing all these programs so immediately um, obviously has been a huge challenge and uh, definitely something that my team has been focused on. So let's talk about some specifics. Uh, You told Congress this week that the restaurant revitalization program, which is kind of this specific almost PPP program explicitly for restaurant and food and beverage locations, had over $70 billion in applications, but it's got less than $30 billion allocated for it. How do you prioritize who gets the grants? I'm really proud of how quickly we were able to roll this out within two months uh, and create a simple experience for customers. So as a result, yes, we had, um, you know, over 300,000 applications. Uh, You know, I think that uh, one of the main things to keep in mind and that Congress did prioritize for the first 21 days, uh, applicants who were women, veterans, or socially and economically disadvantaged people. But in addition, we set aside nine and a half billion dollars of it for smaller entities, uh, you know, starting with the 500, uh, thousand and under employees that Congress gave a $5 billion set aside, you know, as well as a set aside that I made just for small businesses, 50,000 and under in revenues. Does that mean if I am kind of in that that mid tier and I'm not one of those underrepresented groups, I'm probably not getting a grant? Uh, We actually have started to process uh, the non-priority applicants as well. And so there will be a mix uh, by the time that we're finished awarding all these uh, all these grants. What does that massive amount of request, that huge desire for this money, tell you about the state of small businesses, but restaurants in particular? 
Small businesses are still reeling from this disaster. Many have said it's going to take at least six months to recover. I mean, remember that so many of them lost significant revenues and, and grants, obviously, even more than loans is something that they're hungry for at this point. The White House this week put out its budget. Uh, you guys are asking for around a nine and a half percent increase. What specifically in terms of additional spending is your top priority? Equity, first and foremost, we definitely want to ensure that we're serving our all of our entrepreneurs. Uh, and that's a big priority, as well as innovation. SBA does have some great programs, growth accelerators, innovation clusters, as well as we help leverage the, the federal research dollars for small businesses. And then, of course, contracting. Uh, we are, you know, Uncle Sam is the largest buyer. We want to make sure that we connect our small businesses to available contracts. And so that focus is going to continue. And then finally, um, climate. We want to make sure that our businesses are resilient, uh, resilient and prepared for climate. SBA obviously ran the PPP program. Do you believe, based on what you just said, was it not equitably dispersed? We, we've seen that in the research. Just recently, U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, published some studies that showed that you know black entrepreneurs were um, half as likely to access PPP and then five times as, as likely to not get anything at all, even if they got uh, some of the funding. So clearly there were inequities based on historic barriers uh, with that initial distribution. And so we've really focused this year on trying to make sure that smaller businesses, uh, as well as those in underserved rural areas, are able to were able to access PPP. And we saw those numbers increase in 2021. In addition to restaurants, is there another particular industry or maybe even geography that you're particularly concerned about when it comes to small business recovery? Well, we also recently launched the Shuttered Venues Operator Grant Program, uh, which was $16.2 billion in, in grants for these institutions that are such uh, cultural landmarks for so many communities and often draw travel and tourism. And so we've seen that they were first to close and probably last to fully reopen So those until those people can rejoin and have those experiences. So that grant has been popular as well. We've just started to roll out funding for it. A lot of our service industries were also impacted. So so we also have a targeted idle grant program available for our low-income communities as well. How do you measure the success of these programs? I think that the Restaurant Revitalization Fund is actually a really good example of where we want to move forward towards. What was the customer experience, first and foremost? Restaurants was a approximately 25-minute application process. We need to make sure that we are meeting our customers where they're at uh, and being as customer-friendly as possible while still having, of course, those controls. And so technology is really critical. Uh, within the restaurant program, we went with point-of-sale vendors as well. Uh, so if you had Square or Toast, uh, you could, with your restaurant, you could use that in order to access the program and get the data ready so that you could apply with information easier to process. And so uh, we want to make sure we look at that as well as equity. Let's turn to the immediate future. Uh, the PPP is set to expire on Memorial Day, I believe. Should it? We've seen that program really have impact from from the beginning in terms of helping small businesses survive during this time, keep people employed. We know that uh, you know, while demand has started to dwindle, there's still people out there who will need funding. And that's why we're shifting to our idle program, our targeted idle advance, to make sure that there's some immediate relief for those who are most desperately in need. Former Treasury Secretary Mnuchin told us on this program earlier in the week that it's probably impossible to accurately calculate how many jobs PPP actually saved. Do you agree with him? 
I think it is challenging. You know, I know that there are studies and we'll continue to look at this as, especially as we wrap up through forgiveness. I agree that that's a difficult thing to assess. I'm more motivated on a daily basis by those individual success stories. I turn right and left and there's always a business there that has told me that PPP saved them. And then the second round um, helped them continue. Uh, and so I think it's been a lifeline for so many businesses and those are real jobs and real people that were impacted. Are, are there lessons from PPP that you think SBA is applying now toward these other programs, ones you're, you've already planned and maybe future ones that you haven't yet? SBA is one of the longest uh, you know, and most successful public-private partnerships, uh, leveraging the financial services sector to distribute these great guaranteed loans um, on our traditional programs. And uh, that's increased. We need to continue to try to leverage those wider distribution networks to make sure that we're reaching all of our businesses. Mr. Guzman, you are a former small business owner yourself. What do you think that helps you understand about small business owners that kind of the, the generic person might not? Well, I can appreciate the kind of grit and determination it takes and that you have to wear these multiple hats and that you can't do it alone. Uh, but not only that, but that once you're in it and focused and just trying to run your business every day, it's hard to connect to resources, which is why I'm really excited about a community navigator pilot program that we're launching because you need local trusted sources. Not everybody has their CPA or a lawyer on speed dial to ask for that advice. And so we really need to try to uh, embrace this moment where small businesses are the focus uh, and make sure that they're supported because it is a, a very tough job and they take a lot of risks and do a lot for our communities. Where are we in terms of the small business recovery in America? We still have a, a road ahead of us and we're really you know, enthusiastic about the opportunity to you know, support small businesses and innovation through the American Jobs Plan and uh, get our workforce and uh, care economy back in order with the American Families Plan and our kids back in school. We've heard from businesses that they need at least six months to recover. So I think for many, they're going to be recovering from this loss of revenue and this increased debt um, for some time. And we need to make sure they have access to markets and revenue opportunities to recover. Mr. Guzman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Welcome back. For this week's series of special episodes, we're ending with quick conversations with iconic American small businesses. Today, that business is Chicago's Reckless Records, which has been open since 1988 when it mostly sold LPs and 7-inch vinyl. Today, it has three Chicago locations and is still known locally as the place to find that album you just can't find anywhere else. I spoke with Reckless Records's Matt Jensik. Matt, is there one kind of anecdote or story that you think best captures the pandemic experience at Reckless? I think at the beginning, um, you know, nobody knew what was happening and how, what was going to what was going to happen. And the first couple months were were pretty scary. One of our biggest concerns at the beginning was that record stores traditionally are are a place where people come to to gather and sort of talk about music, not just buy it, but, you know, ask questions about things or hear music in the store that we might be playing over the stereo or or whatever. We survived in the, in the beginning, was uh, selling things uh, on our website through mail order. And um, if it wasn't for that, I'm not really sure how we would have gotten through those first couple months for sure. But once we did open back up, we just started getting really busy and not busy like the store was crowded because we had limited capacity, but just we were just selling so much stuff and it, it just kept getting like kind of snowballing. And I really think that's the, the biggest surprise for me was that in the in the end, we just 
did so well. Do you think the the emphasis on doing things at home over the past year or so, people investing kind of in their homes and, and in things like maybe stereo systems, do you think that kind of at-home listening has become a new hobby for certain people? I've talked to a lot of people in the industry, whether it be at labels or at other stores or distributors or whatever, and they all kind of saw the same trend. All of their sales were going up. And I've had a lot of conversations with people. And... We all came to the conclusion that we do think that that's what it was, that people were at home. I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, but we were selling a lot more jazz records than we ever had in years. People just have more time to sit down and listen to things and pay more attention to music like that. They have more time to maybe consider something like upgrading their stereo or whatever. Matt, at this point in uh, May of 2021, how far along in your recovery would you say that Reckless is? Starting as far back as last summer through now, we've just been doing so well with sales. I mean, especially our new new LPs, our new vinyl is just like, we just can't keep it in stock. It's crazy how much stuff we're selling. Matt Jensik of Reckless Records, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, not just today, but for this entire six-part series on America's business comeback. A few quick things we've learned. First, the pandemic rapidly accelerated the small business model move from offline to online. Two, small business owners are very grateful for the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program. Three, small business owners don't spend much time engaged in self-pity. And four, America's economy is recovering, and it's wonderful to see. Big thanks to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, Alex Sugiara, Jeannie Montalvo, and Dan Bobkoff. Please leave us a review, and if you don't already subscribe or follow the podcast, do so. Have a great national paperclip day, and we'll be back Tuesday with another Axios Recap. Axios Recap.